Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Hey, Chuck. good to see you, Bob stop and Mike. Dying, okay? It's been a long time. Oh. I know, you know. We, I, ha- we have to create the hashtag, the Stop Dying, stop dying Chuck. Chuck. Stop yeah. dying. And just get I tried, to, I tried to create a hashtag. It didn't work. What was the hashtag? Oh, I, f- I forget now. I, um, but I'm the only one. I thought once you do one, um, shouldn't it catch on? <laughs> if people like it or if it fits. <laughs> I think mine was too long. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's it, was I it a forget. sentence? Yeah, it was like something. <laughs> well, sentences no, it was like are hard to Ameri- read. Uh, American media... Uh, is still sick or American media is the problem. That's what I said. American. Uh, no, not even American media is the problem. Hashtag media is the problem. I'm the only one on it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you just need to do it. M I T P. Maybe we could get it going may- to the may- don't die the, the, and dopey people. And uh, let, let me see what it was. Anyways, uh, because I'm just so sick of the way the media portrays <laughs> things. I really am. I am sick of it. Yeah. Are you not sick of it? Uh, that's why I watch as little as possible and listen as little as possible. Here, let me, how do I do it? <laughs> listen. No, no joke. I've got, I've got a friend on Facebook who like every day finds some story to be angry about and gets in these like protests and just like these giant. I don't know anybody like and that. And I go, well, sure. man, you're going to stroke out. Why are you going to stroke out over this? It doesn't even matter. It's not in your backyard. No, it it's matters not- though. Here, I'll give you the example yeah. of what I was talking about. <laughs> it matters in this context because what I was talking about is Sinead O'Connor, right? So weirdest thing happens. My my something came in my headphones not working right either. Um, oh, there the it goes. Club, there it goes. Man. There it goes. So um, uh, last Thursday night, Washington Post reporter called me out of the blue because because he's doing a feature story about Sinead O'Connor, and she mentioned giving me a jeep. What? Do you know the story? No, I don't. This is going to be great, though. I can tell. Everybody knows the Sinead story. Mike, I've told Mike the story. He knows the story. Oh, See Mike. what he does? I don't Mike. even know what movies I've been in. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> so Sinead had the same manager as me. Remember when I quit Thelonious Monster and fucked under Pete and everybody? And, uh, yeah, right? yeah. Remember I that remember part that. of the yeah, movie? Yeah. Never happened, but okay. So, so, so why is it in your movie? The man was breaking up. There was no one in the movie like that. At any moment, Thelonious Monster could not be a band. Okay. (laughs) And besides, there was somebody there with a purse that was handing Bob some money. This is how it went. You call rehearsal. Let's rehearse on Thursday at twelve o'clock. Whoever only half the band would show up. Couldn't you just say, "Hey, we're not a band"? Do you know the story of Mike Mart uh, being in the band? Wag, yeah. we need a new bass player. Wag from Mary's Danish was a friend of mine. He was a kid, and I, I liked him a lot, and he liked Thelonious a lot. And I said, hey, you want to be the bass player in Thelonious? And he was like, sure. And he took it all seriously because he was only like 20 years old or something. And so he f- found all the Thelonious Monster guys through the next couple of days at Raji's and various bars and said, so Bob talked to me about being the bass player in Thelonious. And Pete Weiss was like, yeah, yeah. yeah Mike was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he says, well, are we going to rehearse? Because Thelonious Monster had like three shows coming up. 
So you guys are like the stitches. Yeah. So <laughs> worse than that. So so so, but my house was like Thorn Spencer's central headquarters, where we rehearsed. Where studio. I lived. And Wag knew where that was, so he comes by and he says, "Right hey. on time." Yeah, he comes by and he's like, "Hey, are we going to rehearse?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess today is the day we were going to rehearse." So I said, "Go downstairs." Those guys will get here. I always wait till I hear guitars, bass, and drum playing till I come down. Because I lived above the rehearsal studio. Because okay. I'm not going to go down there if just one guitar is playing. It's got to be everybody's got to be there. <laughs> okay. Because I got important shit to smoke up there in my house. You were busy. I was a crackhead. He was watching basketball. I was watching basketball and smoking crack. Good for you. So, so I hear no sound after Wag goes down there. This is his interpretation of what happened. He sat in the rehearsal studio, so excited to play with Thelonious Monster. First, Chris Hansen came by, and, and he said, uh, is Pete here? And he said, you know, he, he had already known Wag was going to play bass. He's like, is Pete here? And he said, no. And, and Pete's, uh, Chris said, well, so he'll be here, so I'm going to go get something to eat. I'll be back. Then Mike showed up. You tell him what you told him. Barely on time. I mean, maybe <laughs> only 10 minutes late or something like that. And so I saw that Chris had been there and gotten, <laughs> got was like got out of there by saying, yeah, I'm going to go get something to eat. I'll be right back. What do you mean got out of there? So <laughs> I was like, just sat around and looked at Wag for about five minutes. And then I went, yeah, I'm going to go get a hamburger. Wag. I'll be right back. And I just went and got some heroin and went home. Of course. <laughs> and now this is like a weekday. This is like either a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And we're playing Friday night at Raji's. Okay, but everybody knew the songs except Wag. Wag. So Wag. apparently Pete never came by. And so since I didn't hear anybody, I just went over to a friend's house. And so Wag <laughs> apparently just stayed in the garage there for hours Aww. waiting for, for me to come back <laughs> from getting a hamburger and Chris to come and back. So then, and we never rehearsed. Then on that Friday, he's panicking. He comes to my house. It's like, I don't know. I know the songs, Bob. I listen to the records, but I we can't. Right, so are, you're going to sound check, aren't you? And I was like, I don't think we're going to sound check. <laughs> You'll be fine, Wag. You'll be fine. Because <laughs> who wants to go down there two times? To a club two times? Oh, no. I, no, 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 no. And I'll tell you what, we never even, we, you couldn't tell. I was, you know, it was, it, it was fine. So, so <laughs> the point is, Thelonious like Monster, Monster was breaking up every second of the late 1980s, right? <laughs> so I didn't really have to quit anything to go solo. But the narrative is I betrayed everyone and quit, right? So at the, when I signed a new management deal, Sinead O'Connor was managed by these people. And that was a factor. I was very excited. They had a lot of cool people. Steve Earle, Sinead O'Connor, um, Chris Whitley. I don't know um, Chris Whitley. Chris Whitley, you know? Mike? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He's great. But he are you a, leaving out the part that... Yeah, I mean, it was money involved, but there's oh, money involved. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you didn't just quit because of some oh. moral dilemma. <laughs> there was money involved, Chuck. <laughs> Okay. You know, away, money is money is you know how money is, Bob, don't you, Chuck? Do we're I gonna do. do a solo album with you, Bob. <laughs> it's gonna be the greatest thing in the world. It's gonna sound like the Nabisco. It wasn't commercial. as bad as everybody says it is. You know that song on the Green Beans commercial? <laughs> That's what it's gonna sound like. Be great. <laughs> it's gonna sound like a when Keith heard one of the songs. I said, "What do you think?" He goes, "Sounds like a Budweiser commercial." <laughs> <laughs> From the valley of the mountain. <laughs> da, da, da. 
so so Sinead was there. So then I'm excited, and Sinead's around town, and I see her sometimes. I'm, she's like my idol. I just love her. And and all of a sudden, she had a freak out about L.A. after about a year, and she didn't like L.A. anymore, and she said, I'm moving back to England, and she just left and told the managers, sell my house. She had a beautiful house on, on Los Feliz. Sell my house, and I'm just leaving. She took her kid, and she just went back to England and left it to the managers to deal with all of it. So her car was parked in the parking lot of the management company, right? And I said to one of the people who worked there, like, what's going on with Sinead? She had this brand new Chevy Blazer, which was the hottest car to have in 1990. Hmm. The hottest. So I said, what's going on with Sinead's car down there? And, um, and really my intention as a junkie musician was maybe I could drive it for a week or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And so somebody said, you know, she's left it for the managers to sell or whatever. And I said, well, I'll buy it. Like, I have no money, but I said, I'll, oh, yeah. buy, I'll buy I'll just, it. Can if I start oh, driving if, it if now? it's for sale, Mike, I'll buy it. That's the, that's the <laughs> opening of the conversation of will you give it to me? Yes, it is. <laughs> so apparently, you know, they just, uh, the next day they just gave me the keys and, and no one ever asked for the money and nothing ever happened. So I always just felt like I stole a car from Sinead O'Connor in the back of my mind, right? Did that make you happy or sad? I always felt like, God, I hope we see her someday and I can like make the truck right. But then in your mind, you're like, how much would it be worth, really? I mean, how much do I owe? <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it was used. And I sell it. Was it. And it was and, sort of abandoned. And, and I she might have just drugs. left it there for years. Yeah, maybe, so yeah sure. Maybe a thousand, uh, two thousand, <laughs> two thousand, I don't know. What if, so, but I've always thought in the back of my mind, and I reached out to her when she was having a hard time, and I said how much I loved her and I wanted to help her and whatever, and never heard a response. But, um, but in the back of my mind, like, there was this thing, like, someday you're going to have to fucking make that Jeep right, right? You have, yeah, you have yeah, a yeah. men's like that, right? Yeah. So the guy calls me, and <laughs> she, she, she said she gave it to me. Oh. oh. She, she gives people things. Would have been nice to know. And she gives people things. How beautiful oh, is that? Cool. She gave her home to the Red Cross, the house she Did gave she? to the Red Cross. Like, she's an amazing woman. I hope I get to meet her someday. I hope she doesn't expect the money right away. <laughs> I hope she doesn't <laughs> you know ask I mean? you for any of it. So the Washington uh. Post calls me and asks me if that's true. And I said, well, I, I always thought that I owed her the money for it. But I, I, I guess it's, I, yeah, I guess she did give it to me. Wow, but I just didn't know she did until like wow. last Saturday night. <laughs> so how weird up is until that? Last Saturday, I thought I owed her five thousand dollars. <laughs> She's on my amends list. I think it's worth more than that. I think. Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that, it had every funny. luxury on it. Every sure, fucking luxury. Yeah, because I just mentioned her in a in a post and stuff. Somebody was talking about Morrissey, and you guys talk about Morrissey. How much you hate him? But I just like I radical. don't. I don't hate. Morrissey. I just I just <laughs> I like Morrissey. radicals, man. If you're like the most extreme veganism, it doesn't get and, more radical than Sinead O'Connor. And if and if you're you, and if you shave your head, and you rip up a picture of the Pope. I love you. If you're some crazy, you know, I I just kind of find it interesting. I want my uh, people on the that are in front of me and entertaining me to be interesting and weird. Right. And to that, realize that, that I also like them to be talented. Yeah. <laughs> well, it helps. <laughs> well, Morrissey's firing on all eight on those. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know about songwriting the last 20 years, but okay. Oh, think, okay. I okay. Uh-huh. Um, I, I anyways, love all the, there's so, all so much hate because so of that we were talking, I ended up doing, talking with this guy for an hour and we were talking about how she was crucified and how horrible the media was to her and how awful they are. And it makes me angry. And I just talked about it with this interview I just did is how come we celebrate people who die but we don't celebrate people who survive, who triumph, who, even if Sinead O'Connor is only surviving, why is that not praised, right? That Robert Downey is the biggest movie star in the world is not celebrated enough, in my opinion. And too much of people killing themselves is celebrated, in media. And so I came up with this media's bullshit hashtag. I forget what media it was. Is the problem. Is the problem. And uh, still nobody's, there's uh, not uh, one other. Uh, on well, it. maybe we can sell that somehow. But, I, I but why doesn't media report how amazing it is that Robert Downey is so su- the greatest, most successful actor? And, in he, the world? and he should have been completely useless. He, he was such a real addict. Oh, he was the real deal. There ain't no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's still clean is what's amazing. And how come Sinead O'Connor is not talked about? I I bet you a lot of people think she's dead. She's amazing. She just played here in L.A. last weekend. I wasn't able to go because I had the flu, but and I'm scared about the money. But no, it was a gift. Chuck, it was a gift now. Well, now you know. You can go see her. That's funny, man. But... But man, oh man, and the reporter was telling me, you know, they're, they're on tour and she's booking it herself and just like, this, she's one of the most talented songwriters, not just the print song, which is what a lot of people, you know, know her for that uh, nothing compares to you. She wrote a song called Black Boys on Mopeds. You ever heard that song? No. It is no. the one, like, there's, when I hear a song, I go, I go, I can, I can do that. When I hear songs, you know, pretty much anything yeah, you, I got you. you and your friends come up with, I can come up with. That. Oh, wow. He's better than everybody I know all of a sudden. Oh. No, no ego no, here. I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> anything I'm not, anybody I know I'm, can no, come up with. No, but I was, I was in my mind when I said that, I was only thinking of like two bands. But, but, but. No, it, he it, wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to get into some okay. existential conversation. I'm saying for me, when I hear a song, I go, I could do that. Pretty much. Right? Or I, or I say, oh my God, how did the person do that? Right? Sinead O'Connor's Black Boys on Mopeds. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh my God, how did she do that? It is simple. It is profound. It is it's like Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. The song category I'm talking about, Steve Earle has a song, There Ain't a Lot That You Can Do In This Town. Yep. What's the name of that song? Finally Gonna Let Go. When I heard that song, I was like, I could, how did that guy do that? There are certain songwriters and, and certain songs that I just am in awe of. Yeah. And, it, and there's, it's in rock music. And my I'm, Old Friend the Blues I'm, is on that? I, yeah, My Old Friend the Blues, but... But there's not a lot in rock music that I am in awe of. Elvis Costello, right? The Jam, Rage Against the Machine, by, of all things, right? See, I never got them. I didn't understand. Well, you're not a politico. 
Right. I guess that's right. a big part of it. I just just like, well, let's just do Rage it. Against Did the you Machine ever see to me is, is a direct. No. Don't you agree? You had to have seen Rage Against the Machine. You have live. to see them. Oh my God. It's the most was, powerful yeah, thing. Yeah, never, never did. It, and it so, so, but basically in the rock things, let's, let's talk about my friends' bands, Chili Peppers, Rage Against, I mean, uh, Bad Religion, Circle Jerks. Like Brendan's Death Song. Brendan's Death best. Song is amazing. How one come the they don't realize song. that? It's, it's so, so good. Amazing. So they wrote a song called Brendan's Death Song, and it's, it's kind of mid-tempo, and it's really, I think it's one of their most It'll beautiful songs. And, but is it, be, is it because we know Brendan? It is. Okay, so it's only it's only good for like <laughs> so three thousand people. <laughs> I mean as opposed to under the bridge. That thirty million people up. That's know. maybe why they don't but, play it because they, they But they, I remember when Anthony wrote uh, Under the Bridge and he played me a demo of him and Fashante doing it, I was just like, Oh my god. I was in awe of it. Yeah. Right? Like Black Boys on Mopeds. Sinead O'Connor has like four songs I'm in awe of. Um, this is the last day of our acquaintance. You ever heard that song? This no. is the last day of our acquaintance. It's about breaking up with somebody. What a beautiful way of putting it. This is the last day of our acquaintance. Hmm. We, you, think about that. Yeah. How many relationships have you had? How, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've been married a couple times. Uh, where you literally, that was the last day you see that person ever for your life. There, are, there is one person in my life that I lived with for five years. The day... The last day I saw her, I still have never seen her again for 25 years, 30 years. That's, That's a good crazy. breakup. That's a good breakup. Is it good? I think so. The Julie? Huh? No, no, no. Marin Hopper. Oh. You know? Oh. Yeah. And oh. I like her a lot. <laughs> I would like to be friends I with her. I thought maybe it would be Sabrina. Or Ju- no, I saw Sabrina afterwards, right? You know, we were friends for a couple of years afterwards. Oh, okay. You know, it, it, usually the natural thing for me is you break up and, and it's good and it's final and it's whatever, but you're going to be acquaintance or friends or you're going to see each other. Then there's those other breakups where this is the last day we're ever going to see each other. Right? Have you had both, Chuck? Be- because you kill them? No, because they, they, <laughs> there is just such irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't. You've never I, had that, I have you? Had like I that. knew he had never had that. Mike's had that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you don't drink enough, Chuck. Oh. Maybe you didn't drink enough. Oh, I, I don't Maybe think that's you the didn't problem. drink enough. I think it's just because I'm so damn pleasant. <laughs> even when you're drunk? <laughs> even when you're drunk? Hey, I, I'd apologize. Are you a nice drunk? <laughs> no. Not well, at you all. had to have had a relationship that ended that was. Uh, there are there are a bunch it, of people. It, what I is have, the term know, for it? Irre- irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable. I don't. I certainly haven't. <laughs> I certainly. Did I say it right? Yeah, I think so. I, I haven't. Uh, there's a lot of people I haven't seen since we broke up, but I didn't have a lot of. I didn't have a bunch of relationships because I'm a serial monogamist. So I get with somebody and then I be with them for a long time. I didn't do a lot of like just dating. Oh, me too. No, I never dated. I don't think I've ever dated. That's oh, weird. I was a liar and a, a cheater. I've I, never been on a date. I've never been on a date. Yeah, I don't understand that. That's that that whole world is just odd to me when people talk about it. But but getting back to Sinead, the first time I heard Sinead, be, be, the reason I was curious about who she was is because she was doing music with Carl Wallinger, World Party. I absolutely loved Carl Wallinger when he oh, left, really when he left the Water Boys yep. and did World Party. That guy is a songwriter. He is amazing. That, is she, he in the reunion of Water Boys? I wouldn't think so. He's not right. He's a, he's a songwriter guy. Yeah. 
He, he's just he's incredible. And she was on. She did a song on Goodbye Jumbo, and she did a. a a song on Private Revolution? Well, let's, I'm not even talking about what a beautiful singer is, an amazing, charismatic soul she is, but a songwriter. Because songwriters, songwriting is the only thing I really measure people by. <laughs> Can you write a song? If you can write a song, well, I, you, eh, you're you know, just a it, little bit less. It, it makes sense. You're looking at song structure and was it, was it done? I mean, it's like people go, Andrew W.K. is so great. And I go, yeah, his music's fun, but come on, anybody could do that. That's the thing. So you have the same thing I have, yeah. just in a much smaller context. I have it on a broad scale. <laughs> Do you understand? Because I'm more narcissistic. So, <laughs> so, so that thing of I could do that or anybody could, I don't say anybody could do that. I say I could do that, right? Or I've written clever songs. I remember the first time I heard Sublime, I was like, he stumbled on something. I mean, that, Sublime is one of the better examples of Orange County rock and roll. That, They're from Long Beach. That's in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. They're They're as Orange this. County as the day is long. <laughs> Yeah. No, anything south of the 10 freeway is Long Beach, County. dude. Long Beach is... <laughs> Long Beach is L.A. Long Beach is shared. Is it? Los Angeles County? shared. shared. I like a lot of bands Bob from... Bob doesn't Huntington. like anything from Orange County. <laughs> it doesn't Beach. matter. It doesn't matter who comes from there. God could be there. Does Johnny Two Bags live in Orange County? Uh, always has. You guys? He, Johnny, Johnny Two Bags does? Mesa. I like I like Johnny Two Bags. He's, one, he's a great human being, great musician. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. You, it, maybe you guys are wait a minute. Maybe maybe it's it's Name PTSD. Me a band from Lost it might be PTSD. I was beaten unconscious by the Huntington Beach Police Department more than one time for no reason. I don't know. What? Oh, for, oh, for no reason. He what? thinks for reason. And I'm not. Uh, but I but, just think it's silly. And, and I've used an example because because we all know who listen to this podcast and within the three of us, we all know who are our friends. So I know your group of musician friends. You know my group of musician friends. I'm saying even within my group of musician friends, there are lots of musicians in there that I know that or I think in my own mind that I could do that right there are others and other and particularly songs where I think oh my god how did they do that I couldn't do that a song called by the way is one of them ritual dehabitual right the first album I first Jane's Addiction album I thought yeah I mean it's I get it I get it he he uses words that most people don't use that aren't common. Mm -hmm. But I just thought, yeah, they're in the same ballpark as us. Nothing right? shocking? Are you talking about nothing, nothing shocking, shocking? Right. And had horns like Thelonious. And I just felt like, yeah, it's a little more edgy and the, the subject matters are sexual. But I mean, it's, I felt like Fishbone and Chili Peppers, Jane's, we're all, in, we're all swimming in the same pond. Then he made Ritual or they made Ritual. And I was like, I don't even know where that lake is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any idea of what, where that is, where that's coming from. To wait, I don't know if you listen to Ritual, but to, yeah, to wait on the kidding? intro so long. Because my mindset always says you hit it with your best song. Boom. Best line. You have to have the best first line. Boom. You're right. No, That's and, my they, they've, and they've got someone and not even downhill in the band. And that. it's all downhill. <laughs> but if you got them, they'll go along with you downhill. <laughs> right? It's a downhill yeah, ride. I've always know. emphasized the first song of the album. That's all. Whenever we made a record, that's all I really cared about is the first song. 
Psychophagandelic's the first song on the on the on the. Uh, That's when vinyl, when you put it on the first oh, side, yeah, had, side A. But, but I didn't even care about side B's first song. I cared about the first song. Oh, damn, between the two of you. <laughs> but when Ritual opens, Chuck. it opens. Fuck. There's no I singing for that. how long, Chuck, in the Ritual? There's that female introduction yeah, in Spanish a, for probably 37 seconds or something like that. It's ridiculous. And it rolls along, right? Chuck is so mad at me right now. Why is he? He's mad at me because I put him on the spot about Orange County. You do not defend all Orange County bands. No, I you don't. You only defend your circle of friends. I refuse, band. but, but I, I, when hey, I lived I in L.A., I saw a lot of shit, Who do too. I have to defend? And me and Mike overlap. Off-Circle Jerks, um... Thorny Smots or Fishbone, Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction. Who else do I have to defend? Tex and the Horseheads. Uh, um, Gun Club. Who else are our friends? I don't know. You got you, ran, the, you ran out of like, fingers, Bob. Like a, one, I, I, know, I got, got one, one chopped off finger. So there's like eight bands I have to defend as the Hollywood bands. Okay, but right? uh, yeah. Okay, that's easy. That's easy to defend those guys. No, it's not. They're oh, kind of yeah. corny. Oh, and they, no way. You, know, you, know, you think so? There's some, there's some master work there. I know, but there's also some awful work there. Oh, well. You know, it's, it's all hit and miss. You know how that is. You go in to make a record. It, it might sound great in rehearsal, but when you hear it recorded, oh, you for hear sure all that. the in-between. Well, yeah. I just blame Pete Weiss. Whenever, whenever it doesn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, I know that. That happens every album. You're singing a song, rehearsing it, like, this is the best song on the album. This is going to be the best song. And then when it gets finished, you're like, I don't even think this that? should be on the yeah. album. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I would always blame Pete. Like, Pete fucked it up. Pete, yeah, Pete, Pete fucked it up. Do you ever do that stuff where you, like, uh, keep things totally fresh? You don't overly rehearse it when you go to record, so it still has that kind of uh, drive to it? Like, songs like... No, uh, we're usually... We're usually... Because we don't play a lot or practice ever... We've so got to work right hard to hit the crest in the studio because it's all going to fall apart as soon as it ends. Like, you know what I mean? We're not on a consistent... Like, you're disciplined. There's no, the word discipline has never been applied to Thelonious Monster <laughs> in, ever in any context. I'm you're not responsible. A, I'm not a disciplined not. songwriter. Pete's not a disciplined musician. Nobody's, nobody's dedicated to it. The good musicians are in it and then out of it and then back into it and then they don't know and it's going it's going on right now. I just came from like I, we did this thing. It was a, a tribute for my friend's son and and it was like it evolved and evolved and it was supposed to be a house band and then it then it became band bands and so there was this combo band of Thelonious Monster and Fishbone right um, and Chili Peppers. That was going to be the house band. And then it ended up being just the Thelonious Monster part of the show. So the band was, are you that ready for cool. what Thelonious Monster was? Dick Stenny, Flea, Pete Weiss, Stephen Perkins, Norwood, John Fushante, and Xander. <laughs> it was, it was the greatest Thelonious Monster show that ever happened. <laughs> it sounded good. So then how do you make that happen again? So I know I can't get Flea and Fushante back, but... But, and Stephen Perkins, maybe, maybe. And so tonight I just was with Norwood and I said, hey, Norwood, do you think you'd ever like play second bass in Flowing Smutzer if we play some shows coming up? And he goes, sure. So now I got the two bass players. Once Martine's hand heals, you got Martine and Norwood. You got Pete. We got to get another drummer. Stephen Perkins is around town a lot. 
He might. So you got that onslaught, because I want to make it a punk rock Grateful Dead. That's the new version of Ah. Thelonious Monster 2.0. You know that um, Perkins is such a solid drummer. He was so... He really is. That that band Hellride with uh, Mike Watt, Peter DiStefano. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I think it was maybe eight or nine years ago when I saw him at Fitzgerald's. Yeah. Or Fitzgerald doesn't exist anymore. Fitzgerald's in Huntington Beach, yeah. It's still there? Yeah, Garfield Magnolia, still there. Oh, no, I thought it was at, um, um, uh, Warner and whatever next to the supermarket. What was that club? No, that was a lot of things. That was, that was a Night f- Moves. Night, night moves, moves, Night Moves, baby. Night moves and I used to cruise into in night moves. That was a long nine, time. You gotta love a punk. Here's another thing. I don't want to say anything about Orange County because I know Chuck gets mad. <laughs> but what kind in the middle of a of a of a post punk revolution where bands like Rage Against the Machine are playing for a hundred people? Does a club owner name their club after a Bob Seger Night song? Moves. That was a terrible How name. How crazy is that? <laughs> and bands like Rage used to play there. All bands used to play there. You, you, Thelonious used to play there. Um, uh, Firehose. I, I saw Firehose. I think we. I played with Firehose there. I played there with Sublime. Yeah, Sublime played there, and it was called Night Moves. Yeah, <laughs> like in, the, in the middle of one of the greatest revolutions in music, the owner, I can just see the owner, and I never met him, but he's like, I'm going to name it after my favorite Bob Seger song. <laughs> <laughs> Working on the night moves. Wait, you know what the greatest line in that is? Way up firm and high. You ever heard that? No, you couldn't, you couldn't I... write a song like that in 2020. Uh, no, but Aerosmith did do uh, Walk This Way on the Grammys. Yeah, but that's mm. nostalgia. So, <laughs> so now didn't I didn't do Big Ten Inch. We've covered a lot of music terrain. Now let's cover the opiate terrain. So uh-huh. I'm going on March 5th. I'm speaking in South Carolina. Not at the primary, but at a opioid conference. And they asked me what I was going to talk about. And I said, it's not over yet. That's, the, that's my talk. It ain't mm-hmm. over yet. So even, and I think I proclaimed three or four months ago on this podcast that it's over. We've done our job. The death rate's going down. <laughs> pat ourselves on the back. Give take, a good pat on the back. Take it back, Bob. Take it back. I was so wrong. So wrong. The opiate overdose death rate is, is going higher 2019 was higher in Wisconsin, higher in California, um, higher in LA County. It's it's not stopping. I think it's, it's so. It was going down. Was but, fake news. But fent- it was fake news, <laughs> the, and I was spreading it. You know, that's because we're coming up on an election. No, but what what and what I've read through the there's the. Uh, KDAC and KD and the National Association of all, all, the, all, yeah, the, yeah, all yeah. these things send out emails all the time and they said that actually cocaine overdoses are going up. Yeah, meth overdose. And How can meth- you overdose from, and die from meth? How can you die from it? I've been, if, if you should die from if you could die from it, I should be dead. Right. Well, apparently you can because people are doing I've it. I've shot meth for well, 10 days putting, straight aren't, aren't until I... are shit in it, though, in the, in the meth, in the new meth? Let's fent- call it the fentanyl, new meth. Fentanyl in the new meth? Because the old uh, meth was kind of good. So what I want to do, <laughs> I, but he's right. I think there's, meth in, there's a fentanyl in everything. I want 
I were thinking about, and it, you know, it's hard to get a study off the ground, so you either do it and then try to get a university to support it. But I want to start testing upon admission and and uh, kind of tracking how many f- people have fentanyl in their urine. We're we're doing that. You're doing it. How many? Do, what's do, the percentage of people have fentanyl? A lot more than they know. That's I know. People have fentanyl know. in their system and they don't know it. That's going to be my next song: fentanyl in my urine. <laughs> I got fentanyl in my urine. I got fentanyl in my urine. Got fentanyl in my urine. Yes, I do. I got fentanyl in my urine. I got fentanyl in my urine. Got some fentanyl in my urine. I got fentanyl in my That's a good one. No, it, but Dude, there's fentanyl in everything. So, so like, do you have any uh, kind of uh, quantifications of what the percentage of people uh, that are admitting into inpatient treatment for detox. No, but but I could I could look into it because it's amazing yeah, try how many to... people do because not only do they light up all the panels, but they're uh, they're separate ones that we test for kratom, for fentanyl, fentanyl and for. I just want to know about the fentanyl. Yeah, because I think fentanyl is killing people. I think that now here's here's a new thing that we have been tracking here at Aloe Treatment Centers where we are right now in beautiful West Los Angeles. Um, we're tracking uh, people who say their primary, their drug of choice is fentanyl. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... They dr- their drug of choice, Michael Mark. Of course. That's is been a while. fentanyl. Yes. A lot of the dope addicts don't want heroin. No. They want fentanyl. It, it's know, a majority of opiate addicts are saying fentanyl is their drug of choice, yeah. not heroin. Well, that's nuts. Right. That No. You take these factors into equate it, the profit from fentanyl... The demand and ignorance about it, the death rate is going to double. There's, I told Dr. Drew last night, because he's doing this conference too, I predict the death rate will be a million people in a matter of years. Because it's already about 470,000 people have died of opiates from the... Oh, you from mean the, a total? From the, from okay. the Oxycontin epidemic that, that Purdue started, mm-hmm. right? From that epicenter in 96, by the time this thing is over and really starts subsiding, I bet you a million people are well, going to die. I, I, When's I, the last time surprised. a million Americans died of something and nobody did a fucking thing? Do you think, okay, this is a crazy thought, but do you think that elitists will start like, you know, um, doing like go back to heroin and say, oh, I don't want that fentanyl, you know? No, yeah, and, like, and apparently if they, if they kids raise are, the price on heroin. Yes. Uh, well, that you're, you'd have to get in with the gangs. Would, it's it's so what I'm hearing from the addicts in Orange County that I've been working with, um, the the dope dealers say they have fentanyl dope and they have regular dope, right? And they charge a little more for the fentanyl dope, but there's actually fentanyl in the regular dope, too. Right. Well, this, so uh, so maybe they're selling the same thing, and they're saying, "Hey, if you really want some fentanyl, yeah. here you go, Holmes." Well, but they and don't, it's ten dollars more. They right. don't even they don't even want any. But the way it was told to me, and it's been expressed a bunch of different ways, but it was like, "Man, they go, you know, once you had vodka, why would you want to drink beer when you can drink vodka? Why would you want to mess with?" And that's what that's it what is. kids are telling you. That's what they're talking about with the fentanyl and the heroin. Was why would you want to play with something that kind of works? Well, I can explain this? it to them. Here's, do you want? Do you want to use my explanation? Because when I drink vodka, 
I poop my pants. Oh. So I don't like pooping yeah. my pants. Again, so I'm drinking beer. Not only his pants, his shirt. <laughs> He poops his hair when he drinks vodka. But he no, I mean, all this, over but, but, but no, that's why because I just had no control. Every that? time, every time I woke up with my pants down around my ankles, it was because of hard liquor, Chuck. I avoided it like the plague. Yeah, not except very well. for Jägermeister. <laughs> I didn't consider Jägermeister hard liquor. But somehow yeah. I could. I could, I could keep my pants on and my poop in yeah. myself. I, with Jägermeister, I could keep the poop in me and the pants up me. <laughs> you know, heroin addicts have kind of a weird taste in alcohol, too. Like, I, you, before I started shooting heroin, I, I loved just hard-ass whiskey. I remember but that. But then, when I started shooting heroin, I liked peppermint schnapps. Peppermint it schnapps tastes like fucking good. candy. It's yeah, it's sweet, good. Peppermint schnapps stuff, is good. It like it? No, it doesn't taste good coming back up. All right, so so... So anyways, so there's a reason why we're doing the podcast. The podcast is not over. We got to keep going. Oh, good. The, the, the problem has morphed once again and changed and evolved. Well, If demand. people want fentanyl, Chuck, they eventually are going to die. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not, I'm not some. And you know, I'm for snorting meth and all this kind of stuff. I think the kids should get into coke and stop only doing. You know what I mean? I support a lot of different. I support a lot of different drug Uh, use. I think marijuana is way better than Suboxone. I mean, there's no more open-minded, sober person you're going to find than me. So I'm not one of these doom and gloomers that oh you're going to die this like. If you're saying fentanyl is my drug of choice, my answer to you is you will die within three to five years. You will be dead. If you're lucky, you'll live that long. I just, we've had, in and around our little circle, we've had uh, three deaths in the last month, and there are people that just step back out into it. And the difference is, is I, I was, I got asked to speak at a CA meeting, which I never go to CA. I haven't been to See, a CA. See, I think cocaine should come back. Uh, I think it, You're saying it is coming back. Well, yeah, it is. It's coming back. Because not in my, my neighborhoods, it ain't coming well, back. Well, it, it will. It will because there's certain people that are on the outskirts of this that don't want to do fentanyl. So they want to, they want to get high, but they don't want to do fentanyl. So they're going another direction. But it, the idea is, you know, especially in the rooms, people got to be aware that, you know, when, when a, an old man would go, go over to the nearest bar room and try drinking a couple of drinks and leaving it alone, there wasn't a 50-50 chance that if you took a shot of something, you might die. And it's such a different game. And they don't, there's zero fear. There was a 50-50 chance I would shit my pants, though. Oh, my <laughs> <Yeah>. God. <laughs> Chuck, are you condoning all drug use also besides fentanyl? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying if they uh, would use... Here, no, I'm saying, like, listen, we there was a... there was The problem was the recovery community was scaring the opiate addicts of the 80s who were the first ones in the door of these new rehab, the new industry rehab, and telling us that if we were intravenous heroin users, we were going to die within six months to a year. What year is it, Chuck? Uh, what year, what year is it? That motherfucker who told me that is dead, and I'm still alive. Because <laughs> he was like in his 60s. Mm-hmm. There's no way that motherfucker's alive. 1994, 2004, 2014, 26 years ago? I bet he's dead and I'm alive. 
So they ran around telling every heroin addict, you're going to die. And hardly any of us did. So now we look like the boy who cried wolf telling these kids they're going to die because for decades, everybody's been told they're going to die and they don't die. And now they are dying. And, and so I always thought with this podcast and with rehab and with education and with like outreach and, and talking honestly to kids, you could change the, you could turn the tide. I no longer think that. I, I, had a, I, have a, I had a client who told me that the last time he overdosed, he said he had, a, he goes, I had a speck. And he was smoking it off foil. And we all know that that's smoking a waste. Smoking it off foil? That's, we know. You don't do that with heroin because that's you a waste, You can smoke right? fentanyl? I didn't know that. Uh, he was yeah, smoking it off foil, and it was his ninth overdose. And his mom got scared and, and said, I, you know, broke down and said, I, you're going to die, and I'm not going to have you anymore. Will you go to treatment? And he's leaving treatment right now, and he just, just completed. And he can't believe that he didn't. He couldn't believe that he was taking that risk every time, and he knew it. Nine times he overdosed, 24, 25 years old, I can't recall. And Is he telling kids? Smoking it off foil. He wasn't even going You can hard. die from smoking it. I, you learn of something course, new yes. every day. This is why this podcast exists. I, I, you know, I listen, and I know a lot, and I've experienced a lot. I didn't know you could die from smoking it. I would think you could go unconscious, but I, I would think you wouldn't die. You can die from smoking it? Yep. It's Did not, you know that, Mike? Yes, one big hit, and, you're, and, and you can take in enough to kill you. Oh, yes. That's another thing I've been telling kids. Just smoke it. You won't die. Oh, <laughs> oh my oh, God. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just anything to get your numbers up, huh? You want to make that million? Here, here, put a little Coke with it. Won't kill you. Here, no, just smoke I, it. I just don't want kids to die. I know, and it's an empathetic thing. You know, and it's always when they're out there, and they call me, but they don't want to go to rehab, and they're texting me like, you know, I just wanted you to know I'm safe and whatever. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, and then they call me and I talk to them for like an hour. And at some point or another, I kind of joke like, you know, if you put a little coke in there, you might, you might be safe. You don't think that? Well, well you're no, trying to get, I, I you're don't. trying to relate to them on their level. Of course. I understand it's that. Really, a lot of people It's a way of consciously that. talking about the fact that they're going to die in a concrete way. Getting them to talk. Did I tell you about the guy that was leaving treatment? So I gave him my Narcan that I got from you. Yeah. He, he goes, the, the guy that goes, I got 40 bucks. He goes, I go, man, why are you leaving? What, what's keeping you from staying? And he goes, I got 40 bucks. Oh, my God. And I go, okay. I know that feeling and so I, fucking and, well. And, and the monster was there. There was no reasoning with him, right? He was just, he was hell bent. He, had, he was like on day three of detox. And he goes, um, if you guys won't bring me my car, I'll go get it. I don't care. I can, get, I can get my dope right down the street. And we're in suburbia at this point. You know, we're not downtown. We're in suburbia. And he goes, and I go, okay, do you, can you use with somebody? He goes, I don't ever use with anybody. He goes, what I do is I use in public. And I said, okay, if you're going to use, he goes, I'm going to be in my car. I'm going to be in a public space. I leave the windows rolled down. And I said, okay, would you at least. He knows he could die. Uh, he yeah. knows he could overdose. That's insane. And he goes, and I said, well, you at least put the Narcan on the seat next to you. So if someone sees you blue, they'll know what your problem is. And he goes, I can do that. And that was as good. Of See, so, so, so and, that, but that's that been person, like three that weeks. That type of person is going to kill themselves with drugs either way you look at it, whether they're using the old-fashioned heroin or the new fentanyl. That's what I think. I think that if you have that sort of a... I think it's hard to die you, you from the old heroin you when you have smoke, a habit. You yeah, going in and out. Heroin. Going in and out. But here's the new thing. Was he on Suboxone? 
Yeah. Yeah. See, so here's a new thing, Mike. There's there's not enough 40, 50% morphine, pure heroin in Santa Ana that these kids can afford to cut through the Suboxone. So they actually tell me they use the fentanyl because it cuts through Suboxone. Which pushes you right up into that Which upper is limit. another oh. question about the use in every case of Suboxone. If they're... If they're if they're hell-bent on using again, but we think the Suboxone is keeping them from dying and they're using fentanyl to cut through the Suboxone, aren't we defeating our purpose of Suboxone? And Suboxone's an opiate block? It's the an naltrexone agonist, it's is. It's an agonist and an antagonist. So, yeah, it's a block and a... It blocks a pleasure center. Because I know you can still overdose if, you have, if you're on naltrexone. Yeah, yeah, you can overdose, you can but you don't feel it. You don't even get high. But you don't feel it, yeah. Right, you just stop, you just stop But breathing. apparently... <laughs> apparently, apparently, fentanyl will cut through that pretty good. See, and you will that? feel something. It must wipe off suboxone off the opiate I, receptor. I think, I think it just. <laughs> Here's another thing I heard today. Okay, because suboxone. I mean, I don't know. I can't guesstimate how many clients we have that are on suboxone or have the implants now. I mean, it's a tsunami implants? of suboxone implants. Yeah. So um, now, Trexone. So, implants would yeah be now checks on implants too but they don't want to detox so they're all scared of detoxing so so here's the thing um propofol attaches to a different receptor site than than the suboxone is covering did you know that no somebody just told me that today so because uh, we were talking about this subject and they said um you know propofol cuts through too and i was like how do you know that <laughs> why, why would you now that's a go to sleep dope for sure that is a straight to sleep when they hit you with propofol you're you got like two seconds of clarity before you're done you're out propofol but, uh, is, is a surgery drug yeah but apparently it's very pleasurable for a minute well, for a couple <laughs> seconds for, it is such a short-lived no. euphoria uh, have you ever been on it mike you ever had propofol you never had a surgery? You had hernia surgery. You must oh, yeah, have had, had it. I've, I've had, had it a bunch of times. You did, you've had propofol? Yeah, I've I had Did it feel really good before you went to sleep? Yeah, for about that long. That's the thing when you start counting backwards from 10 and you get and to like, like, a, you get like, to like eight. 6, do you just feel <laughs> awesome? No, because you go 10, 9, and that's all you remember. But it's just like, oh, yeah. And then it's... Oh, so it's, 10 and 9 are good, Mike. Are you catching on to that? It, it's a couple. 10 yeah, and yeah. 9. But then you're Ten, coming to and someone's nine. pulling a tube out of your throat and your body's on fire and you're racked with pain and you wish you were dead. So it's not worth it. Like when they pull out your but appendix. Let me just you, recount it for the folks at home. Ten, nine. There you go. <laughs> and then you, Most addicts would trade in sobriety for that ten and nine. Ten. Nine. One they alligator, would. two alligator. It's that much time. So we'll good. talk about this stuff more. But the the, death, the the don't die is not over. I was wrong. Fake uh, news. Fake news. I heard it from Donald Trump. <laughs> I shouldn't don't, have thought the don't it was, die army. Don't die army. So yeah, now we're gonna have to explore this year. If they if they don't listen, what do we say? <laughs> Think about who, that. Who are Think we talking about to? Everyone here listening. Until next time, they won't listen, so what do we say? I'll talk to you next uh, time. Bye. All right, good night. Sobriety is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Complete sobriety. There you go. Listen to him. Nothing in your system. It's awesome. <laughs> it's